tend to find that anything over sort of eight hours, they start to not be able to stomach gels on their own. Um, so I've learnt that I need to have a variety of things. So I'll often have gels as well as a drink nutrition, um, as well as maybe some real food. Stepping up the distance again to a 100 mile event, we're out for a very long time, you really do need to get some real food. Hello and welcome to The Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. My name is Alan McCubbin, I'm an accredited sports dietitian, lecturer and researcher in sports nutrition at Monash University in Melbourne. And I'm joined as always by my colleague, fellow sports dietitian and researcher, Steph Gaskell. Steph, how are things with you this week? Things are good, Alan. Things are good. Um, I think we're all competing with each other now in the lab. I've noticed that um, lab the lab's getting booked up uh, and so we're going to be getting nice and cosy in there soon I think where we'll be doing some sessions next to each other. Elbows uh, out. What's that sorry? Elbows out. Elbows are out yeah like I'm like just trying to get participants in real quick. <laughs> well our guest tonight off air afterwards we were both uh, we were competing positioning our various studies to try <laughs> but and get. We, were, we worked it out didn't we because we're going to go like you know mine's a warm-up for your for yours. So Correct. I think really when you recruit your participants, you should say, well, hang on, just before you do my study, go jump into Steph's and then I'll see you after. That's right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, no, we're still madly recruiting and I, I think it, it has been more difficult, at least for me, I've seen the change from um, COVID in terms of recruiting yeah. um, participants. Um, me too. So, and, and, you know, I can understand that in terms of things being unsettled and wanting to stay, you know, um, working or, or whatever changes have been made. But if you do have any spare time, we would love to have you. And uh, with both of our work or um, with my studies as well, I really, we like to try and get equal ratio of, of the males and females too. So please, um, yeah, come and donate some of your time um, with us and we would, we'll happily share any information that you have, uh, answer any questions that you've got on nutrition too. Mm. And you'll get a lot of data back. You'll get a lot of data back, yep, yep. Mm. So, yep. yeah, that's, that's, that's all I've been up to, just trying to madly recruit participants. Mm. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I've had a um, an interesting day. I was at the Victorian Institute of Sport oh. making ice slushies. Oh, so cool. you remember Emma Jeffcoat, who was on back on episode two B. Yep. Um, triathlete. So um, she's sort of getting her her heat stuff together. So they haven't finalised the selection for the the triathlon team for the Olympics just yet. Yeah. Um, but you know, fingers crossed, she will get selected. So we're um, sort of making those preparations as as if she will. Because yep. uh, by the time that selection comes around, it'll be too late to do a lot of this stuff. So, yeah, uh, yeah working working on sort of you know her her pre race prep stuff. So that's yep. that's been a bit of fun and uh, fun. back in there on Monday to do it again in the heat chamber. So it'll be good. Well, uh, just on Emma, um, I I have the lovely Julie um, that does all of our studies that we mentioned the other week. Um, Julie sent me a. a message the other day with a photo of her in the shops and she had purchased the Biscoff. So I am slowly getting the word round. <laughs> Just the jar and or everyone... the cake that they're now making at Woolies? Oh, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen mm. the cake. She's getting the spread. Oh, okay. I've... Yep. It's in, it's in, um, we had it in uh, ice cream, like in a gelato just down the road um, in Thornbury um, the other day. So, but the, the spread's my, my go-to now. Mm. Yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. And yeah, because Woolies are now making Biscoff cake. Like mm. there's actually a cake made with Biscoff. You should not have told me that. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently it's hard to get. I was, I was, um, chatting to, to M and, uh, and Liam, one of the other guys in the squad the other day at the pool, and um, Liam said, like, you go to Woolies, they're sold out. By the time you get there, you have to line up at, like, opening yeah. time to get yeah. one. Um, he was looking online for a store that had one and there was hardly any. And yeah. I said to Em, have you heard about this cake? And she said, don't worry, about 40 people have already texted me about this cake <laughs> uh, within, the like, the first 48 hours of it 
becoming available. <laughs> so yes, it's it's taking Australia by storm. I'm sure it it's is. it's already taken Europe by storm, or they're probably sitting there going, "What are these are people? They are so slow." Yeah, it's only been around for seventy years or whatever. <laughs> anyway, enough about this. We got there gone. eventually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So here on The Long Munch, as well as talking about Biscoff, we take a deep dive into <laughs> some of the most common nutrition questions that runners, cyclists and triathletes ask, sort of things that people often debate with their training partners, with coaches, down the coffee shop, uh, out on a ride or a run, these kinds of things. And we break it down, inviting a guest expert in part A uh, and also an athlete or a coach in part B to give their unique perspectives on the particular question. So our topic today is a continuation of last week's discussion, which was episode 12A, looking at how, um, how should I prepare for my first ultra event in terms of nutrition. Um, and so we had the discussion with, with the two of us, Steph, from, mm -hmm. from our perspective as um, sports dietitians. Um, but today it is episode 12B, so it's our athlete perspective. Uh, and as we mentioned, we're going to have multiple athlete perspectives on this in terms of running, cycling and triathlon. So uh, a little bit different to some of the other episodes we've had in the past. So Steph, who have we got today? And uh, yeah, what's yeah. it going to be all about? Yeah, so we have got the lovely Kelly Emerson. Um, and so Kelly's a... Um, an elite ultra um, ultra trail runner. Um, Kelly's done really a range of distances, you know, all the way from like first starting in the in the shorter or half and marathons, and then um, working her way up to the fifties, the hundred k's, and the hundred milers. Um, and so she's yeah, she and she's done exceptionally well. So she's like a three times national long course trail running champ. Um, She's um, she's done some of the real big uh, ultra races overseas as well. Like a key one for ultra runners is usually UTMB. Um, that so a lot of people want to blanc for those. Not yeah, familiar with the lingo. Yep. Yep. Uh, and she, I think she really enjoys Surf Coast Century too. So she's got a pretty decent PB in the hundred k there of nine hours, um, just over nine hours. Um, so she's yeah, and she's also she got an entry into into Western states as well, which you know got put on hold. She um she's got little bubs now, but um she's now looking and setting her sights on that for the future. And so Western states is a hundred miler in yeah. California, um, hot race, um, very Elevation famous race. Altitude as well. Yeah, very tough course. Yeah, yep. Um, and she's known for usually um seeing. Uh, on the trails running with her Vizsla Barkley. Barkley's a gorgeous dog, really, really energetic. I remember the first time I met Barkley at um, a, an event that we were getting Kelly out to help um, down at the athletics at Jambrook for Ricardo's group. And um, and I'm pretty sure Barkley nearly bowled me over just in just so excited and energetic and, yeah. Um, but now so he... Yeah, now so who, you see. who wins the race between Cooper and Barkley? Oh, um, that would be a tough one. I'd say probably, I don't know, I reckon Cooper for the shorter distance and then maybe Barkley for the longer distance. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, now Kel's usually, now I've been seeing and you've seen, you know, on her social media, she's um, going everywhere with her, with her um, bubs. Mm. Yep, yep, going yeah, on lots of treks and... Yeah, Saw on yeah. the top of uh, hills in the Grampians recently, I think it was. Yep, yep, yeah. So uh, she is also a coach as well. So we thought it would be good to get Kelly on both from a perspective of, um, you know, how do you prepare for your first ultra um, as an athlete? Um, and then also, you know, what are some perhaps common um, topics that come up with um, her athletes as well? Yeah, yep, for sure. All right, well, before we start to get into this episode, just a reminder that if you have any questions that you'd like answered on the podcast, you can contact us via social media at The Long Munch on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Um, certainly leave any comments or suggestions through through any of those platforms. We'd, we'd love to hear from you. Um, 
Also, if you uh, would like to, to leave a, a rating um, or uh, a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd certainly appreciate that as well. That certainly helps to um, spread the word about the podcast um, with all the various search algorithms and things that go on behind that, uh, behind the scenes. So, um, yeah, really appreciate that too if you have the, the time and the inclination. And also if you just want to give us any feedback, you know, good, bad or other, we want more of this or less of that or... Uh, shut up with your rant, Alan. It's useless, or whatever it is. Um, you, you can as long as uh, they leave. just say Alan and not Steph, then okay. Well, well, yeah, I, I wasn't going to say it, Steph, but you have now, so that's all right. Um, but yes, you can leave any comments, uh, good, bad, or otherwise, uh, at the log munch as well. We'd certainly uh, love to hear from you. All right. Well, I think that's enough for now, Steph. So we'll yep. crack into this one. It's episode twelve B. Um, how do I prepare for my first ultra event in terms of nutrition with Kelly Emerson? Let's do it. All right, Kelly Emerson, welcome to The Long Munch. How are things with you? Hi, thanks for having me. Very good, thank you. <laughs> excellent, excellent. And uh, we were just saying offline before you've got, was it nine-month-old now? Uh, Seven-month-old. Seven-month. Yep. Yeah, and Little. I've seen... Uh, on, on Instagram, you've sort of done all the, the return to running bits and pieces, and obviously you're an OT, so you're all into doing it correctly and That's right. going through all the steps. How's it all going? You're back to pretty much your, your normal running again? Yeah, we're getting pretty close, I guess, aside from some of the longer stuff. Um, yeah, training um, back to five, six days a week. Yeah, awesome. Yep. Cool. You've even done some races too, haven't you? Yeah, I've done a couple of races. Did uh, raced at Warby. And then uh, the uh, Buffalo Stampede 10K. Yeah. Yeah. And coming in good positions. Yeah. I managed to win the 10K at Buffalo. So I was yeah. pretty happy with that. Yeah. <laughs> so progress is going well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And what's the, what's the plan for you for the rest of the year? Is it just sort of to continually sort of increase the distance or are you sort of happy with, with where you're at at the moment? What's the plan? Um, from a logistics perspective, it would be much easier to stick with the shorter distances. <laughs> um, but no, I do plan on, on gradually um, increasing it. Um, I'll head to UTA next week for the 22K. Yep. And then the, we've got the Brisbane Trail Ultra. I'll do the 30K there. And then it's a bit unknown. I'm hoping to go back to Western States. Well, go back, actually be able to do Western States for the first time um, next year. And I need to qualify for that again. So it means I need to do a long race uh, by November. Um, so maybe Surf Coast Century again. <laughs> we'll see. Yep. But I also got an invite to um, Ultra Trail Thailand today, um, which is in November. So oh, October. Yep. So it, I mean, the world's all up in the air at the moment because of COVID. So who knows whether we'll be able to travel. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. So yep. is the Thailand Ultra 100K or? Yeah, I think there's 100 and a 100 mile. Yep. So yep. we will see how the body goes. We'll see how the world goes. <laughs> there's so many unknowns. You've just got to be flexible and um, I guess take opportunities as they come at the moment. Mm. So with Western, you you know, you got in. Um, so are you just you just need to kind of qualify, but then you, you've actually still got the entry. Is that right? Yeah, so I've got so I got an entry for last year, and yep. then I deferred because of pregnancy. Yeah. Um, knowing that they would probably cancel it, and they did within the week. So, um, uh, it, that sort of bought me a little bit of time because with the pregnancy deferral, I could defer that for up to three years. Cool. Um, which is great because there's not many races that that um allow that. Yep. Um, but it means that I still need to run a, a qualifying race, even though I've got an entry. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Okay. Well, our topic today is uh, how do I tackle nutrition for my first ultra? So I guess going back and, and people maybe stepping up the Ks for the first time and, and working out sort of what things they need to consider. So before we do that, do you want to tell us a little bit about your own background in ultra running, how you got into the sport and, and did you go from, you know, not much distance to ultra straight away or did you sort of gradually work your way up over time? Yeah, so I always played team sports as a kid. Um, I didn't get into running until probably my late teens. Um, I started with Run for the Kids, which was 14 or 15 Ks. Um, I ran with my cousin and um, without really doing much training and figured out that I could do the distance not too bad. 
Um, and I figured because I could do 14 or 15 Ks, I could probably do a half marathon. So I signed up for Ron Melbourne and um, I joined Running in the Burbs, who were the designated club um, working up towards Run Melbourne. And um, yeah, just became part of the community, I guess. And um, friends there gradually encouraged me to step up the distance. And I did a couple of marathons and um, then they convinced me to do Oxfam Trail Walker with them, which is a 100K uh, walk for most people, but we sort of ran and walked it. And uh, we did Marinda Dam as a, as a um, training run leading up to that. And I just really enjoyed it. I loved being out on the mountain for that long and um, found that it came pretty naturally to me. So I was pretty hooked after that. Um, so thinking about sort of you getting into to ultras, you know, for the first time, what were the, some of the, I guess, the things that were potential challenges or questions that you had to answer or things that you weren't too sure about or didn't know what to expect sort of going into the first couple? Yeah, um, I guess there's lots of things that, you know, you really have no idea what your body is capable of physically or mentally when you're running these sort of distances. Um, as you start training for the longer stuff, you know, I remember just you'd go out for a long run on a Sunday and come home and be so tired for the rest of the day um, when you first start doing those longer distances. The fatigue is, um, you know, pretty extreme and you realise that you really do need to start eating a lot more um, day to day. Yeah, that's probably some of the, the main things is knowing how far to run in training as well. Um, you know, back when I first started, I was probably only running three days a week and, um you know, I couldn't really understand why people would want to run more than that. <laughs> so it took me a while, a while to get into the swing of, of um, yeah, more consistent training. Yeah. Okay. And were there any sort of, like in terms of getting information about what you needed to do to sort of prepare for your first ultra distance race? Where were the sorts of where where were you able to get information from? Was it getting it from from other athletes, coaches, online? Where did you sort of turn for for help? Yeah, so I didn't get a coach for a very long time. Um, I was always sort of self-coached, but I think um, just running with others, you sort of, um, you know, you, you pick up different things from different people and um, you learn things just by getting out there and, and training. Um, you know, you learn a lot about your body in, in different races. You know, it's, every race is a, is a new learning opportunity. So I think nowadays there's so many... Um, there's so much information out there. There's so much information on social media. Um, and, you know, sometimes that's positive. Sometimes it's, um, you know, sometimes it's the wrong information. And um, I guess being a researcher myself now, I'm able to see through that a lot more. And, um, you know, I really value that experience as a, as a researcher to understand the value of, of um, evidence-based information. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. And I mean, you're, you're a coach as well. So I guess you, you work with a lot of people that are potentially sort of going through that transition of maybe doing half marathons, marathons, and then stepping up the distance. What sort of advice do you give to them in terms of how to sort of make that transition? Yeah, so I guess it's just trying to step up gradually. Um, you know, not, you, you know, if someone's brand new to running altogether, it's not you know, setting achievable goals, not thinking that they can go and do an ultra in a month's time. Um, and I don't think training for ultras is necessarily, you know, you don't say, okay, I'm going to do this race in, in three months' time. Ultras tend to be an accumulation of your training over your whole, um, you know, over many years. So um, it's it's gradually chipping away and knowing what you're capable of um, and making sure that you doing things that are correct for your running age and your the rest of your sporting history and um, all of that so that you don't get injured because if you step up too quick, you will undoubtedly get injured somehow. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yep. Um, so uh, talking a bit more in terms of nutrition for your first ultra, um, can you remember back to your first ultra race and I guess any sort of things that, um, perhaps you got confused or worried about in terms of nutrition for that for that ultra. 
Yeah, so I remember very clearly doing Oxfam for the first time and my mum made us pumpkin soup and spaghetti bolognese. (laughs) (laughs) It was great. (laughs) But we were probably moving at a bit faster pace to have such a heavy meal. (laughs) Yeah. uh, yeah. Uh, Had a bit of reflux. (laughs) (laughs) Things changed a bit after that, but uh, that was quite funny. Um, But, yeah, look, it's really hard to know what to eat. it's really hard to know whether you're going to be able to stomach um, gels and things or, you know, when you first start, you don't even know how your body's going to, going to take gels or whether that's the right thing for you. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was learning um, how much to hydrate as well. I think in my first Oxfam, I definitely, you know, there was probably some blood in my urine and, um I ignored that at the time, but knowing that and having more knowledge now, I see that that was probably quite serious. Um, so, yeah, you learn learn different things as you go. Yep, yep. Um, so if we, I guess, look more so in terms of training at the moment, in terms of training nutrition, um, so the distances that you were doing in your training week when preparing for your first ultra um, did you find that you needed to change your day-to-day eating to be able to manage that load of training for an ultra compared to, you know, when you when you were doing shorter distances? Yeah, um, I don't – I remember, I guess, probably being hungrier, um, particularly yep. after racing. You'd notice that, you you know, for the next week you just wanted to keep eating all the time. Um, but I've always been a pretty good eater and snacker. Um, so, you know, I would constantly snack – um, during the day at work, there's always food next to me. Um, I didn't really notice it so much until I started competing quite, um, you know, at more at the pointy end and I got a coach and I was training at a lot higher intensity more often. Um, and uh, my hubby started doing sort of a low-fat, high-carb, sorry, High-fat, low-carb diet and he does most of the cooking. And so, you know, I, in a, without actually intentionally changing anything, I found that um, I was sort of eating that way too and, and that's when I started to drop weight. So I realised pretty quickly that that was not going to work for me and that I really did need a lot more carbs in my diet and um, just started adding rice to everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So did you find you were just, yeah, getting too tired and, and that sort of thing? Yeah. So just, yep. yeah, fatigued and, and, and dropping weight. Yeah. Um, so, but I think I've always been pretty in tune with my body and luckily I love food and I don't stop eating. So yeah. <laughs> it never really became a problem for me. Um, but I think it's important to be aware of it and know that, you know, in order to train and to compete well, you need to be strong and fit and um and and healthy food wise yeah 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 and do you find um as I guess also as a coach um that you know that topic kind of comes up a bit in terms of uh you know whether people are fueling enough for when they're training for an ultra yeah it comes up a little bit um I probably would you know I, I would like to think that I refer off to the right people such as yourself Steph um, <laughs> to, to give the you know better advice on that but um, I find particularly lots of the time things that come up are um, with I've got a few vegan athletes and I notice that often they will have trouble with iron um, so there's a few that will get iron infusions and things regularly and they tend to be pretty in tune with their body and know that you know know ahead of time that something's not quite right and go and get bloods done um yeah so it's it's encouraging them to go to the right people get blood tests um yeah make sure that they're um getting the right advice yep yep um and i guess then if we look in terms of your um your race day nutrition um did you find that then obviously your strategy for race nutrition for let's say you know shorter distances to when you're going into 50 100 and 160 k's changes um what sort of changes did you find in terms of going even you know from 50 to 100 and then if you walk us from 100 to the 100 miles Yep. Um, so I guess doing the shorter road races, you know, you can fuel purely on gels. Um, 
and that was was totally fine. Um, mm. But stepping up the distances, <clears throat> um, I found that, well, I guess it was, it's a lot of experimenting over time with what works for each individual mm. and, for, yep. and for me. Um, but I tend to find that anything over sort of eight hours, I start to not be able to stomach gels on their own. Um, yep. So I've learned that I need to have a variety of things. So I'll often have... Um, gels as well as a drink nutrition um, as well as maybe some real food Um, for a 50 to 100k I could probably do mostly on gels and and drink and um, maybe um, you know I'd stop at some for some fruit or something salty at aid stations Mm -hmm. Um, stepping up the distance again to a 100 mile event we're out for a very long time you really Mm -hmm. do need to get some real food um so things like boiled potatoes go down pretty well you know Mm -hmm. high in carbs um at some of the international races there's a big smorgasbord of food available (laughs) in france and italy is usually heaps of cheese and salami (laughs) Um, so you need to make sure that you know you are aware of what is available in certain countries that you're going to be able to eat as well Um, or make sure that you've got your own stuff there that you know you can stomach and it's yeah. you know practicing that in training or in training races you know for certain races that you're using as training making sure that you're practicing all of that so that you know what your body can can um handle um but there's always going to be times where you know there's so many different conditions from being at altitude being in the heat um where your body just says no nah, i don't mm. want that <laughs> mm. um you know and there's been some races i remember surf coast century one of the first years i ran it and I just couldn't get anything in, nothing like any time I brought anything to my lips. It was just, nah, couldn't do it. I think I ended up finishing the race just on Red Bull alone. <laughs> and it worked. Yep. <laughs> it was, well, I do after. remember someone tried to give me a, a sugar-free Red Bull. Oh. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> I threw that back in their face and give me a real one. Yeah. <laughs> just on the, the solid food, Kel, um, you, you mentioned obviously with the longer distances going you know down that route as well is that for you is that more the flavor side or is it that you get physically hungry or a bit of both I think it's a bit of everything um I de- think there's definitely a sense of palate fatigue um you know you you get really sick of having sugary foods um so I find that I need something savory as well um and you, I wouldn't say you necessarily get hungry because your body's focused on other things, but it's just knowing that you actually need to get food in. Otherwise, you, you have nothing. Um, the last time I did UTMB, um, I really, yeah, I think my, my crew, my husband kept checking my pack and it was every aid station was still full of the same gels that he gave me at the last one. And... Uh, you know you you notice yourself you just can't you just can't run you just don't have the energy so it's you know sometimes you're just forcing something down (laughs) whatever it may be and at the um let's say like at utmb um do you you would tend to have your own support crew um there at particular checkpoints yes that's correct yep yep and then um you would do you tend to do like they'll have it laid out for you and you'll kind of have alternative options? Do you kind of have it laid out in terms of, okay, these are sweeter, these are saltier, these are, or it's just kind of... Uh, I probably don't lay it out like that, but I probably just make sure that I have heaps of options for so that I can choose what I feel like at the time. Like mm-hmm. you can't just have, okay, here's your gels that you're going to take with you. It's mm-hmm. having like a, you know, a spread right. going, yep, yeah, okay, I feel like that, feel like that, feel like that. <clears throat> Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Um, and never get tempted by the cheese and salami. Oh no, you do sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you do sometimes, definitely. <laughs> Any sort of like, what's the weirdest type of food or um, nutrition you've seen someone take on board? Is there anything outrageous you can think of? Oh. My husband raced in Japan and they had some like all the rice balls and things like that are pretty good. But uh, but I wouldn't say that's outrageous. I'm trying to think of what else there is. 
there's a mountain bike race in Canada called the BC race in British Columbia, and they, they've got a guy there with tongs handing out, like, strips of bacon with a bit of maple syrup on them. <laughs> nice. That's yeah. so good. Yeah. Actually, Karen Hill, who we had on the podcast, has done that race, and she got she was and she handed got the a bacon strip of bacon. Yeah. Beautiful. That's pretty good. There, yeah, there has been Canadian. a few races that I've been to that will give you a shot of alcohol um, somewhere at oh. one of the last aid stations. Oh, nice. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Whether that's performance enhancing or not, I'm not really sure. <laughs> um, so, so you mentioned before, Kel, like obviously the first race, the first really long race you did was, was Oxfam and you know, the, the spaghetti bolognese and, and the pumpkin soup. Um, how long, like how many races or how long did it take you to kind of develop some sort of strategy that you kind of felt was comfortable and, and worked for you? Was that something that like by the next race you're like, yep, this is great? Or was it like a couple of years until you were kind of happy with, with what you were doing? I would say it was a couple of years for sure. Um, mm. And I would say I'm still learning that. Um, you know, you're still, I don't think it's something that you ever get perfect. Um, because there's so many different variables in an ultra. Um, you know, I think with the different conditions, the, your body just reacts differently. And, um, you know, there's so many other factors of what you've eaten that week and, you know, the mm. weather and like, it, there's heaps of things. So I don't think it's something mm. that I've quite perfected yet. Um, I'll just keep learning and keep trying different things. Mm. I think because we were talking, Steph, to Nathan Shearer mm. on a, a recent podcast, he's a an Ironman triathlete, and he was saying something similar that, you know, uh, or it might have been Ben Duffus actually, um, but the fact that, you know, you, you do races like, you know, six months apart, it's like, well, t- things change over time. Your, your taste preferences change. We're all getting older at the rate of one day per day. Um, you know, so over time, our, our tastes and our needs will change as well. So, you know, what worked for you maybe four years ago may not work for you now. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, you can practice in training, but, um, it still comes down to, you know, in a race, you're going to be run, running a lot harder. Your, your heart rate's, you know, a lot higher for a, a lot long, longer duration of time. Um, mm-hmm. You're on your feet for a lot longer. That You know, it, it's hard to simulate training yeah. nutrition exactly with mm-hmm. racing nutrition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And I tend to find as well, um, like, um, people can also just tire of, like, a certain nutrition might have gone all right for even maybe one or two years, but then um, for whatever reason, they then tire from from that particular nutrition and then they just want to change the, yeah. the product. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, Any sort of epic fails that you had along the way in terms of nutrition where you're like, oh, that, that really went pear-shaped and you had to learn things the hard way? Uh, there's a few times where um, I've forgotten to take what I had planned at a particular aid station. It's really interesting because, you know, you, you for the good hour before you reach an aid station, you're often thinking about, okay, I'm going to pick up this, this, this and this. And then you walk into the aid station, you forget all of that and you walk out again and go, shit. <laughs> um, so I remember, yeah, the second time I did UTMB, I think I was, you know, I was had this strategy. I was going to start eating real food, you know, my potatoes and stuff really early. And I walked out of the aid station and forgot completely. And so, um, in a race like that, where it's a good, I don't know, five to ten hours between checkpoints, um, that was a, a big boo boo. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, and have you ever had sort of major gut issues or struggles in in that sense? Uh, yeah, definitely. So yeah, that particular race, um, I just. I struggled to get anything down um, for a good portion of the race. Um, So it just meant that I had to just keep plodding along one foot in front of the other and it was a lot slower than I wanted. But, um, you know, I eventually got there. Was that that after, Kel, that you missed the the window of eating that then event and then after a number of hours that that came on board yeah um but I also had trouble um with my hydration in that race too um I think that um remembering now quite early on in the race I started having symptoms of uh, of UTI um, yep. which hadn't happened before um and uh I remember sort of stopping needing to go to the loo quite a lot and then I got to about the 80k mark and went to the toilet and it was like coke coloured 
Um, and I started panicking a little because I knew that that was pretty serious and could end up in, in pretty serious kidney issues. So um, I just had to drink and drink and drink and try and flush it out if I wanted to finish the race. So I had to pull back um, and yeah, try and get some food in, but I didn't, that wasn't going down well. So it was literally just trying to hydrate. Yeah. And on that topic of hydration, uh, I'm interested in how you sort of uh plan that i mean obviously you know different races will be different conditions you know hot races cool races or even you know in, in ultra races you've got you know potentially quite hot in the middle of the day and then cool at, at night time how do you sort of plan for that from a hydration perspective do you just kind of take a set amount of fluid and then just drink it as you feel the need to do you have a set plan for that um yeah how does that work for you yeah, I don't, I, I don't have a set plan. Day to day, I'm pretty terrible at, at drinking much. Um, I have to carry a drink bottle with me or I just will forget. Um, so, yeah, in a race, I don't necessarily have a plan, but I'll generally carry one bottle of water, one bottle of um, V-Fuel drink, and um, usually that'll get me through to the next aid station um, with most races. Sometimes if it's a hot day, I might carry an extra bottle in the back. Um, and I just drink to thirst. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Cool. And I mean, we talked with on a previous podcast with Dr. Lewis James about this and the fact that in an ultra race, like you're not going to stop and weigh yourself. Your sweat rate is going to vary from hour to hour because the conditions change and the terrain changes, you know, your intensity changes. So it would be virtually impossible to say this is, you know, how many mils an hour I need. Um, so yeah, really thirsty is, is pretty much your only indicator that you've got got to go by yeah and there's there are some races that still do weigh you um i think i was weighed at the brisbane trail ultra the 110k a couple of years ago like at each checkpoint uh maybe halfway through the race i think yeah yeah um yeah and if you were below a certain amount they were going to make you sit there and, and uh drink okay i thought it was going to be the opposite it was looking for people gaining weight or maybe that too yeah yeah <laughs> Okay. And, and in terms of, um, like obviously with fluid, that may or may not have carbs in it. So do you have sort of a, something in mind in terms of like if I'm drinking more fluid that's got carbs in it, then I don't need as much to like gels or, or solid food? No, I tend to use that as a supplement. Um, so I'll try and focus on gels or food being my actual nutrition. And um, anything that I drink is a bit of a supplement because I know that I won't drink enough. For that to actually fuel me yeah yeah okay yeah and obviously that's each person will have a particular strategy like you know particularly bigger guys who sweat a lot on a hot day they might have you know where that's three four hundred mils an hour or whatever that's dedicated to containing carbs and then the rest is is the the fluid that it goes up and down according to according to thirst yep, yeah for sure but yeah no i found that if i drink too much I'll, it'll just bounce up and down in my belly so i'd rather yep. actually yeah that's just an, an added bonus <laughs> yeah cool um and obviously you know you're a coach as well with the athletes that you work with do you find that there's some sort of common struggles that people have to get on top of their nutrition for for ultra distance events yeah totally um i think that a lot of people don't realize how much they actually need to eat and you know lots of people will start off thinking okay i'll just have one gel an hour or something like that um but often it's encouraging them to have um have food a lot more often than that make sure they've got a steady supply going and making sure that um they don't hold off too long so they, they start um, eating quite early in the race rather than than leaving too big a gap or you know if they know that um, there's a big hill coming up to have something before that comes things like that yeah yeah that makes sense so I mean thinking about I guess what you've learned from your own experience but also you know with with other um, peers that you know you run with or, or athletes that you coach what are some of the things, I guess, about nutrition for, for ultra distance events that you know now that you kind of wish that you knew, you know, right back at the start when you were doing your first kind of uh, stepping it up from, from marathon distance to, to the longer races? Yeah, I think the main thing is um, to make sure that you have a variety of options available to you. Um, that, you know, you don't just stick with your, that you don't just carry gels, that you've got something else um, or, you know, different flavours or something that to give you another option when things are going pear-shaped. Um, yeah. That would be one of my main things. Um, um, also, one thing that 
I've definitely learned is um, it's really hard to get nutrition in or get gels in particular when you're freezing cold. Um, when you, you know, you can get really lazy by having your gel in your back pocket when, you know, you, you've got gloves on and it's just all gets too hard to actually reach back and get it and open it and put it in your mouth. Um, so, you know, if you know that you're going to be out in, in really freezing cold conditions, having a, a way of getting nutrition in that, um, that isn't affected by, by those sort of things as well. It seems like a really simple concept to just eat, but, you know, people get lazy and when there's extra elements on top of that, it makes it really challenging. Yeah, and, and bars for me, it can be the same. Like it doesn't matter whether it's like a power bar that's kind of like that kind of processed one or even like cereal bars, like muesli bars and stuff like that. Like when they're cold, they're just like a rock and they're almost impossible to, to eat without breaking your teeth off. And like the things like the power bars, it's the opposite. If it's really hot, it's, it reminds me of those red skin lollies. Like if they're too hot, <laughs> they're a sticky mess. And if they're too cold, they're going to break your teeth. And they have to, they've got this really narrow range that you can use them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously it's it's finding what's going to work for you, and you know even things like the packaging. Like some people find the packaging really hard to open, other people find it easy, and and just experimenting around with what's going to work for you. Yep, definitely. Mm. Just making it as easy as possible. Sometimes it might be dispensing a few gels into a little tube, um, you know, to take that element away. Lots of different ways. <laughs> All right, and the, the final thing I thought I'd get your, your take on was obviously, you know, a lot of ultra events, and we talked about this in the, the last episode, um, Steph, was, you know, daytime versus nighttime. How do you, do you kind of see those as, as quite separate in terms of how you plan the nutrition or do you kind of do the same the whole way through? How do you manage that? Yeah, no, I don't really view it differently. Um, I, yeah, I would just treat it the same time between checkpoints and things. Um, there's been a few races that I've done that have started at midnight. Um, that makes things really a bit weird because, um, you know, you're used to doing a race in the morning, so you get up and have breakfast and then you go and race. Um, but when it's a midnight race, you re that really challenges your thinking and how you go about that. So, um, yeah, for me, I think it was having a light dinner and having a sleep and pretending to go to bed and getting up at a certain time you know, and, and trying to go through the motions like you normally would, but at, at a random time of night. <laughs> mm. But it sounds like your choices, like what you're having on course at checkpoints and things doesn't change whether it's daytime or nighttime? No, I don't think so. Um, it would just mm. probably come down to the temperature again. Um, so some of the, the colder races overnight, um, I think it's important to get something hot or warm in to warm you up. So um, you know, chicken noodle soup or something like that goes down really well um, in the middle of yep. the night when you're really cold. Yes, yeah. Uh, and are you a caffeine person? Uh, yep, yep. Um, I've tried a few different things along the way. So some of my earlier international races, I um, went off caffeine for maybe three weeks before the race um, and then hit it pretty hard halfway through the race. Um, it, it seemed to work at the time. Um, Although I, I probably think the first UTMB, I hallucinated a little bit through the night, but I managed to stay awake. I didn't really get too tired. Um, but <laughs> as I've gone through the years now, I rely too, too much on my daily coffee and uh, I couldn't quite give it up for three weeks before racing these days. <laughs> well, the good news is we've got a podcast on exactly that question coming up. Uh, I think we're recording it in about a month or so. We're just speaking to someone about that yeah. this morning, actually. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll have, have one around, you know, whether you have to skip, you know, miss out on coffee in the lead up to a race or yeah. not. So that'll be so No, I can't do it. But during a race now, I'd probably um, go for the Coke or go for something caffeinated maybe three quarters of the way through a race. Um, I don't go too early with it, but um, I think, you know, having a, a glass of Coke or something towards the end is, is a really nice sugar and caffeine hit to help get you home. Yep. yep. So for you, it's more about the, I guess, how far into the race rather than whether it's daytime or nighttime at that point. Yeah, probably. Um, again, maybe for, so for some of those longer 100 mile races, um, I'll definitely hit the caffeine maybe sort of early morning before because I think the the main time that you start feeling really fatigued is is generally just before the sun comes up so um yeah having some caffeine before that happens is a good yeah. idea yeah makes sense have you been told any random 
information and advice about nutrition over the years, whether it be from, you know, peers or coaches or elite ultra runners that think that they would love to give you advice and uh, I can't think of too much, but I know, like obviously one of the main questions that comes up all the time is about cramping and salt intake mm. um, and, you know, you always get so many different opinions online um, mm. about that. Um, and sometimes, you know, I have been known to take salt tabs during a race, um, yeah. but I've never cramped. So it's more yeah. for me when my fingers start to swell up, for me that's been a bit of an indication to get some salt into me. Um but in terms of cramping as, as a coach, I think that personally, my, my opinion is that it, it often comes down to conditioning of the athlete um, more than anything. Yeah. 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 We talked a little bit about that in, I can't even remember what episode number it is because I haven't got them in front of me. I think it might be 10A, Steph. Yeah. The one around sweat testing and sweat and testing. sodium. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm. Being maybe more so neuromuscular fatigue. Yep, yep, yep. But, I mean, there is a sort of emerging a theoretical element for sodium, but it's more around diluting it quickly, like getting dehydrated so your blood sodium goes up and then suddenly drinking a lot of plain water and diluting it really quickly so that fluid pushes into your cells rapidly and it's that expansion to your cells that may be the problem rather than a lack of salt per se. Mm, yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, but, but even then, not necessarily the cause, but just maybe increases the threshold so you cramp maybe earlier or more easily if you're prone to it anyway. But, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think the conditioning is a, is a big, big part of it mm, for sure. Mm, yep. All right, Steph, I think it's bonus round time. <laughs> bonus round. Awesome. Yeah. Good, fun times. Um, so if you could do anything besides what you're doing now um, in terms of uh, your OT, what what would it be? Uh, probably finding a sport that makes more money. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going for, tennis or golf? That would be nice. I don't know, probably golf, you know. Yeah, be more relaxed. <laughs> but no, I'm enjoying uh, being a mum at the moment. That's been very lovely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things on your bucket list that you haven't yet done? Um, for me, doing Western States. Yeah, cool. So it's coming up. Yeah. Is there a sport that you've seen and thought, I'd love to try that one day, so don't think about the money aspect of it? <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, look, probably maybe maybe doing a, an Ironman or something one day. We'll yep. see. I need to learn how to swim better first. <laughs> yeah, not scared of sharks then. Nah, that's all right. Nah, but I don't like right. really getting in the cold water. I don't like being yep. cold. <laughs> it was funny. I was talking to the um, the triathlon guys today actually because I did some work for Triathlon Australia and um, talking about the test event in Tokyo two years ago and obviously, you know, conditions will be similar for, for the Olympics this year, assuming it all goes ahead. And they were saying that the water was like 30 degrees. It was like a bath. Yeah, right. And it was horrible. Like they were all getting out of the water and they were like bright red and they all just mm. felt awful because they hadn't prepared for it. Yeah, right. Um, but apparently the Brits absolutely blitzed the test event and it came out later that they'd been training in like a 30-degree pool for like oh. six months before. Yeah, wow. Uh, as part of their sort of heat acclimation. Interesting. You don't think about acclimating for the water. Yeah. <laughs> no. Think of no, everything exactly else. Right. But... <laughs> but, yeah, apparently it's like this kind of natural lagoon kind of thing that just gets really hot in the sun. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, if you want to do a triathlon, maybe go there. Yeah, that sounds it. good. Then you won't have to worry about <laughs> the, the water temperature. Um, and, Kel, do you live by any particular piece of advice or, or motto that you you um have going through your head oh look I think that for me um you know running ultras and competing has been an amazing experience, way to travel the world and um you know you can't take your money with you and I think traveling and and experiencing different cultures through racing has you know made us a lot richer than money ever will mm -hmm. yep nice and I think you've already answered this question. What's an ultra race that you haven't yet done, but it's on the list? Yeah, so, yeah, Western. Western. Yep. Well, let's flip that around instead, Steph. So yeah. you're talking about those experiences travelling around. 
What's your favourite one? What's the one that stands out most to you that you've done already? Oh, there's so many. <laughs> there's so many. Yeah. Uh, not racing. Central America is pretty amazing. Yep. Um, but, yeah, you can't go past France and Italy. They're pretty amazing for race events. And one thing uh, if when you're travelling that you have to take with you? That I have to take with me? Yep. Way too much stuff. <laughs> <laughs> a terrible packer <laughs> so I've got it all if, if I go traveling with anyone else and they forget something I've usually got it <laughs> nice we've had we've had pillows we've had discoff spread yes what else have we had Steph um yeah, Vegemite oh, Vegemite's a good one yeah Vegemite yeah Vegemite's a good one I think we've had that too yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I can't remember what Sam if Sam told us one no take with him yeah had yeah. some funny ones anyway. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Cool. I think that's that's everything. So yeah. thank you so much, Kel, for your time. Uh, I think people, you know, obviously, that are stepping up for their first ultra-distance event, whether it is, you know, running like yourself or even, you know, Ironman or, you know, road cycling events, I think there's a, a lot of, uh, you know, useful stuff in here and, and things to consider that, that are universal across all those different sports. So um, thanks so much for your thoughts and, and your time tonight and giving us some great advice and tapping into your experience. No worries. Thanks for having me, guys. No worries. Good luck with your next race and for training for Western States. Cheers. Great to hear from Kelly Emerson uh, and great to hear some of her experiences over the years uh, in ultra running and uh, how she's been able to sort of evolve and continues to evolve her, her nutrition plan for, for ultra distance events. Um, lots of pearls of wisdom in there, Steph. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, you know, like she, some key things um, that she said, you know, when you are first starting out to do an ultra, um, also like working your way up so perhaps not going oh I want to do an ultra and going straight into like a hundred miler um yeah trying to kind of just you know allow your body to to gradually adapt and and get ready for that and train and as she she has done as well herself um and now also after having a bubs she's now gradually working her way up to the distances that she, she used to do uh, in terms of nutrition, you know, she, as she said, you know, like um, it's, it's, it's never, you know, yep, I've got this magic um, recipe that, that works every time. It always changes because um, events and conditions change, um, but also palate um, and taste can change as well. Um, it's, it's a bit of a, an ongoing experiment, um, but where she does really um, try and practice what she's doing in her race in in the training and in training nutrition uh, and just being mindful of of how key flavor fatigue is in in ultras and making sure that even though something might work well in in training um, it's not necessarily going to work the same in racing as much as we try and and plan for that um, still have some some backup options and what she would have in you know when you've got the luxury of having checkpoints um, and support crew you know just making sure you've got a range of of options there so that then when you're running into that checkpoint you can then make the decision on on how you're going at the time with what you want to want to choose. Yeah, and I think that was uh, I mean we talked about this last week in terms of uh, flexibility in your plan um, to be able to mix things up if if the need arises. Uh, and I think that's that's very much true. I mean, I, Kel, I think you used slightly different words to describe it. She sort of talked about having that smorgasbord of options that you could choose from when you arrive. Um, and and I guess the other thing she talked about there was. Um, you know, making sure that when you go into your checkpoint, I mean, obviously you've got plenty of time out on the, the trail to sort of think it through when you get into the checkpoint, but just make sure that when you come into that checkpoint and there's people everywhere and cowbells ringing and whatever else going on, that you don't just suddenly forget all of that and it goes out of your mind, as, as she described it happened to her, um, I think it was at UTMB one year. So, um, you know, making sure that when you go in there, you, you have a plan uh, and make sure you don't get too distracted by the occasion until you've 
being able to make sure you, you're executing on that plan and you've got everything that you need before you leave the, the checkpoints is really important. And even if that's just to take a, a second to just do a quick, you know, double take before you leave and, and make sure you've got everything that you had planned to plan to take with you when you were coming into the checkpoint, you actually are taking with you when you come out of the checkpoint. It's going to be really important, particularly in those events where you've got literally hours between checkpoints. Yeah. Um, and I think then the other one was just in terms of a, um, the training, nutrition and kind of what she learned along the way and just for the athletes that she she coaches just to be mindful that, you know, when your training load um, is increasing, uh, then be mindful that nutrition does need to increase with that and change along with that. Uh, and, you know, also I think being being mindful of, um, if you've got other, you know, people that you cook and, and eat with, your actual needs can be different. And that's what Kel found um, at one particular time with her partner, Tegan, where he was at the time, you know, following a higher fat, lower carb diet. Um, but for her, she wasn't responding well to that. And, that, and it, um, you know, her weight was falling off, her energy was going down. So just by her, just really, you know, still um, eating some things that are similar, but then whacking in the extra carbohydrate that her body was wanting for the training that she was trying to absorb. Mm. And that could be even the same if you're eating the same food, but just the quantities. Like if mm. you, um, like if, if you're living with someone and they're doing the cooking, whether it's a partner, um, parents, if you know, if you, yep. you're younger, um, yep. or housemates, or whatever, and they're they're doing the cooking that night, uh, and they're serving up what is a, a normal serving size for them. But if yep. you're an athlete and you're doing serious miles, and yep. they're not, then then that portion size might not be enough for you. And so yeah, just making sure that you 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 know upping the ante to to meet your needs there, and and making sure the people around you are kind of supportive of that and and able to accommodate that as well. Yeah, yeah. And I know like when I was um, younger and um, like my folks would cook for me and um, I would get quite frustrated because I'd go and I'd see the plate and I'd be like, what? That's like entree. Like, mm. and, and also just, you know, yeah, where's the carbs? And they, you know, aren't wanting as much carbs. So yeah, I would do exactly that. I'd go get some more bread or get some more um, carbs or just, yeah, give um, give mum a bit of a um, tutorial on, on me needing more carbohydrate than what they perhaps mm. do. Uh, so, yeah, just um, don't feel like be mindful that your needs are, are different perhaps mm. to those around yeah. you. Yep, and I mean it's a bit, a little bit off topic, but yeah, I often find that with the athletes and clients that I've worked with that, you know, obviously the amount of carbs that they need for dinner might be different from day to day because their training the next morning is different from day to day. You know, one mm. day's a rest day, the next day's a, you know, three four hour run or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's it's thinking like you know Saturday might be your long run, so Friday night needs to be the high carb meal, whereas you know Friday might be a rest day, so Thursday night doesn't need to be a high carb meal. Mm. Um, and so you're going in with that plan of adjusting your carbs up and down every day of the week, but those living around you and eating with you are not necessarily yeah. thinking that way or, or thinking about that. They're thinking, you know, Wednesday night is the traditional whatever night, but that mm. may not suit with your training schedule. So it's it's then having that conversation and, and working out how, how you're going to arrange that, whether it's just you adding on extras like Kelly did with the rice, mm. um, whether it's trying to change the, I guess, the traditional, I don't know, pasta night or whatever you have mm -hmm. in your household mm -hmm. um, uh, to, to sort of align with your, your training I'm schedule, whether it's moving your training schedule to align with that, if that's possible. But, yeah, just trying to figure out that way to, to make that work for, for everyone so everyone's happy and you're not uh, ending up in, in arguments within the yeah. household as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mm. definitely. Um, yeah, I think that was, yeah, great um advice by by Kelly and um, we are going to build on on this topic and um, now mix it up uh, for the next episode which we are going to have who Alan yeah so episode 12 C first time we've had a C episode <laughs> uh, so we're going to look at um, at cycling or in this case mountain biking so we're going to actually cool. get a um, 24-hour solo mountain biker, Kate Penglaze. Um, 
on to, to talk about how she does her nutrition for ultra distance events. Um, so Kate has, um, I think she's got a couple of podiums now at World Championships in the 24-hour solo mountain biking in the wounds field. So, um, and I know she's gone through you know, a, a period of sort of adjusting and, and refining her nutrition over the years. So it'd be great to get her perspective on it um, in terms of, you know, on, on the bike, obviously it's a bit different to a run, mm. um, you know, checkpoints uh obviously in, in ultra running can be several hours apart whereas in mountain mm. biking um you know you do a loop and you come back through a, a pits mm. uh, and so you have the support crew there constantly so it's a bit of a different dynamic there in terms of how often you can feed and, and what's available to you and that kind of thing mm-hmm. um, and obviously you've got you know the full overnight day thing going on as well being a 24-hour event so uh yeah be super interesting to to get her take and and obviously in in what is quite a different sport in terms of just the the practicalities and and also some like the feeding tolerance the ability to tolerate food into your gut riding is is often quite different to what it is running so good to get that second perspective yeah yeah cool yeah looking forward to that one um awesome so for anyone again that has any questions please post your questions on our social media whether it be facebook instagram or twitter and yeah and um we are on your popular all your popular podcast platforms uh but until then alan i think we'll say good night and um or you know if you're listening to us during the day Good morning, good afternoon. (laughs) Good lunchtime. (laughs) Whatever you like. Um, But until next time, we'll see you then. Will do. See you, everyone.